I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! Woo! Yay! <laughs> I really need to get like a Ric Flair soundboard. <laughs> we really need to ev- elevate our woohoos. Fun fact oh. about Ric Flair. <gasps> yes, he was one of Georgia Tans. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that from uh, Behind the Bastards. One of these days, I'm going to do a whole episode on Georgia Tan and that absolutely oh. wicked beast of a. I don't even want to call her. Yes. She, she was in black market baby adoptions. Yeah. Um, I mean, the American adoption system is like entirely her invention. Yeah. And I mean, they, they, oh, yeah. They, they've made some rules to try to fix some of the stuff she did, but, eh. But yeah, he was stolen and adopted out. Fun yeah. Fact. I've read so much about like ethical adoption and stuff like that. Yeah. From, like, just being on TikTok and like learning of like it's not all you know wine roses can actually suck sometimes. Oh yeah, big time. And so but it's yeah, like, expensive okay. too. You can't afford it. So yeah, expensive. it really is. So yeah, so that's a fun way to start the episode. Hi, hey, you want to talk about adoption trauma? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know that we have a whole lot of crazy things to start out with. Um. No. If you've been no on news. any of my tours lately, thanks for tuning in. I hope you are tuning in. Yeah, you know. I made my coworkers for Halloween sit through a um. A presentation on cemeteries that we really liked that we've covered. So I covered the Mary Cemetery in Romania, um, Graceland here in Chicago, which everyone thought was that Graceland. I'm like, no, that's that's a different Graceland. <laughs> I can definitely give you guys a whole presentation on that too. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's its own thing. And then exactly, and then Sleepy Hollow, which was one of my favorites yeah. that I've covered. So yeah, I like that cemetery. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. But we have a random episode for today, um, so all of our stories are not connected unless they turn out to be. Um, Which has don't happened know. to us before. Yeah. I know. We don't know what, it, I mean, I know what Lori, I know one of Lori's stories, but other than that, I don't know anything. So, Lori, yeah. I'm going to just hand it over to you and let yeah, you work to, magic to, Yes, to be sad. So, I have two today, um, and the first one, uh, just to kind of talk it out, so it's been a rough week in my family um my dad's mother the wonderful and amazing zora zuline creole simpson um suffered a stroke at 93 and so there's not a whole lot you can do at that age like surgery is really risky so they kept her at the hospital and a couple of days later she had a major stroke um Luckily, my dad and my mom were able to get up to Kansas City where she was living. And so all of her kids were there. And she did pass away on Friday, November 3rd, which is also her baby, uh, my Uncle Todd's birthday. Uh, But as they were talking about it, he said, it's okay. She did it on purpose because I was always her favorite. (laughs) So a good mom makes every kid think they're the favorite. Yes. And he was the, ba- like, he was the baby by a long shot. So he was 11, oh, he's yeah. 11 years, 11 years younger than my dad. Um, yeah. So definitely an, a whoops, uh, whoops <laughs> there. Uh, but yeah, 
<laughs> Grandma Z was absolutely, if any time in my life, if you asked who my favorite person was, it was going to be Grandma Z. She was just an all out badass. Um, and to start us out and to help me kind of, you know, get through Process. my grief a little bit, because I've been, and I think part of it is I wasn't able to be there. I mean, I she never yeah. came out of it after she had the stroke, but I, you know, not being able to be there to say goodbye, I think was is why i'm i'm struggling a little bit and she always seemed mm-hmm. like she would live forever like this woman yeah was was just an absolute queen and i was expecting her to make it to 100 so i well, was I not, mean, not not prepared for this at all no and the picture that you took together this past summer yes. she looked so young and yeah she looked life. great yeah yeah i mean and you would have never thought 93 yeah sharp was attack just just not your typical 90 something year old lady um right and we did get to go see her this summer the kids got to go uh sawyer's met her a couple of times but you know he doesn't remember and then bonnie got to meet her so that that's special that's a good good memory to have and then uh, you know of course i've i've got pictures for this episode um of her young and then a picture from this this summer but yeah, I'm going to start out by reading the obituary that my uncle Todd, her baby, uh, wrote because I think it kind of summarizes a life well lived, and mm-hmm. I just I just feel like sharing it. No, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really <laughs> great obituary. So here we go. Zuline Creel Simpson of Lenexa, Kansas, passed away peacefully on November third, twenty twenty three, surrounded by family and loved ones. Zuline was preceded in death by her husband of 72 years, Jesus, H.E. Ed Simpson, and her daughter, Kelly Ann Simpson. Yeah, I could not fathom being married for 72 years, especially to my papa, Ed, who he was was a whole other story. (laughs) Zuline was born May 29th, 1930 in Light, Arkansas, the eighth of nine siblings raised by Maudie and Samuel Creel. Over the next 18 years, her love for people and education and her belief in the principles of hard work and honesty were formed in that small, unincorporated community. Zuline married Ed Simpson, also of Light, Arkansas, in 1948, shortly after Ed's return from the Pacific Theater in World War II. Quickly thereafter, Ed entered college, determined to build a better life for himself and his family. Zuline, ever the pioneer, followed him shortly after. In addition to earning honor roll status in college, Zuline also played basketball for the varsity women's team while at Southern Baptist in Arkansas. A point of family contention, still argued about to this day, was the one and only time Zuline ever fouled out of a basketball game. Her team was locked in a hard-fought contest against a conference rival. In the closing minutes of the game, she picked up her final foul. The call itself was not disputed, but the eyesight of the referee was questioned. That referee, (laughs) of course, was her husband, Ed. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Hard to believe they stayed married. (laughs) That'd do it for me, honestly. (laughs) Zuling continued to pound the hardwoods until the sixth month of her first pregnancy. That that blows my mind. That was my Aunt Sandy. I cannot imagine. Being uh-uh. six months apart because that uh-uh. is a lot of running in basketball. Yeah. yeah. 
After Ed graduated, the growing family moved to Missouri, making stops at several school districts. Zuline, a lifelong learning advocate, balanced career, motherhood, and continuing education from the 1950s through the 1980s. At a time before equal rights, equal pay, or equal opportunity was even a thing, Zuline pursued her education, ultimately completing a master's degree plus 30 additional postgraduate hours while teaching full-time in the primary grades and raising her five children. Yeah, I don't know how she did it. No, especially, so, like, my dad and his brother, Tony, are 11 months apart, so I cannot imagine raising them two. Yeah. Oh, Irish twins. Oh, girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority of her time in the classroom was spent in the Pattonville School District in St. Louis County, Missouri. There, she taught mostly in the Carrollton Elementary School for nearly 30 years. Countless students, faculty, and staff, and even several principals counted on Zuline's wit, charm, and incredible spirit to help see them through their most difficult times. In 1984, Zuline was named the Pattonville School District Teacher of the Year. In the spring of 1984, Zuline retired from teaching after 35 years in the classroom. She received letters of appreciation from coworkers, principals, school board members, state senators, the governor of the state of Missouri, and even President Ronald Reagan. But perhaps the most meaningful lines came from one of her former principals. Quote, if I ever needed to talk with someone about a problem, I would not hesitate to discuss it with you. You have always had a down-home way of relating to people, and I think that's one of the reasons you have been such a great teacher over the years and such a great person. Oh, 32 years of children. Yes. And she was also, so this is just kind of like a little aside, a joke we say. uh, So my dad is just a big kid. Like he's 71, (laughs) but he is a toddler. He, the only good <laughs> Terry. Yes, his his best yeah. friend is his four year old granddaughter. Um, <laughs> but we joke that he didn't learn how to you know share and keep his hands to himself and not you know pick at people because he didn't go to kindergarten. There was no kindergarten. And yeah, his his mama was his first grade teacher. Yeah, <laughs> so, I love it. That's a joke in the family. So yeah, kindergarten was optional when I was a kid too. Yeah, huh. and I so, only went half day. I did that too when I was in Texas. It was yeah, yeah. and I, I picked. Uh, you could pick morning or afternoon, and I picked yeah. afternoon because I didn't want to have to take a nap at daycare. Yeah, <laughs> am I so the only weirdo who went to full time kindergarten? I did no, when we moved to Tennessee. Yeah, because yeah. I did half day kindergarten in Kansas City, and then we moved to Arkansas when I was in third grade, and um everyone there had done full day kindergarten because that's when they were talking about like taking a nap i was like i took a nap at the babysitters i don't know what y'all are talking about yeah yeah no i got to pick and i was like well if i go in the morning i'll have to come back to daycare and take the nap and i am doing that so (laughs) okay sorry that's okay no i started the asides retirement did not slow zuline's passion for education in 1985 she and ed moved from st louis to their farm in camden county missouri over the next 31 years the two enjoyed family visits and cattle rearing building the hobby farm into a cattle operation of nearly a thousand acres and a herd of more than 150 head in addition to overseeing the business activities of the farm, Zuline also joined the Camden County Library District Board of Trustees and was an advocate in renovating and or constructing five of the district's six current libraries. 
Hell yeah. Yeah. She's badass. In 2016, Zulina and Ed retired for a second time and relocated to an active retirement community in Lenexa, Kansas. For the next seven years, Zuline could be found organizing card competitions or other games with her fellow residents. Often, when asked to join a family member for dinner, dinner out, Zuline's response was, Can't tonight, we're playing Pinochet. <laughs> or not Pinochet, Pinochle. Pinochle. Yeah. I was like, Pinochet's that murderous dictator. <laughs> yes, no, I always do that. I always pronounce it wrong. Pinochle. Pronounce it like. But it looks like Pinochet, if you were looking I at it. I know. Yeah. It's it weird. weird. It's probably French or something. Words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> Zuline's four surviving children agree that, quote, our mom was our role model in all things. She was an example to all, a friend to all, and a supporter of all. She was the definition of a teacher, end quote. No. Zuline Creole Simpson is survived by countless friends, neighbors, co-workers, club members, and gamers who will never forget her infectious laugh and the twinkle in her eye. She is also survived by her children, Sandra Walton of Kansas, Terry Simpson of Mississippi, Tony Simpson of Kansas, and Todd Simpson of Arizona. Her legacy includes a number of grandchildren and great-grandchildren who adored spending time with Grandma Zuline. Zuline's ashes will be interred with Ed's, who passed in 2020, near their childhood home of Light, Arkansas. A celebration of life will be held at that time. And we are doing that in May, I think. And my Uncle Greg is renting a bus to bring everybody from Kansas City. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. This is the one time that we are closest. Like, it's always been that, you know seven eight hour drive for us being on the side of the country and then being right that way and now we're an hour and a half away and everyone else has to drive six <laughs> to seven hours there you go but yeah. yes no grandma z was just the best human on the planet earth and uh it's i she lived a great long life you know yeah she, absolutely she would not want to live in the condition she would be in had she right, been yeah. out of the stroke because she would have been completely paralyzed yeah um so it's just no it's t i mean in in sheena in in hannah both you've experienced mm -hmm. a sudden loss like yeah it, it, it just happens like, does it is it better to have the preparation like when my mom lost her mom my grandma Dorothy had uh, ovarian cancer, so it was, they knew when it was time. Yeah. My mom got to spend a week with her and, you know, prepare and say goodbye. Is it, is it, I don't want to say better, but. I will say like with my great grandparents, right? Mm -hmm. My great grandpa who died a year after my grandmother did, well, his, my grandmother was his stepdaughter. Um he like lingered for like a week, you know, and he had a very similar to what your grandmother had where he'd had a stroke and they'd basically said, he's going to be in a home. He's not going to be able to really do anything for himself. And my grandpa, my great grandpa, grandpa binge who had retired from four different places. He actually like injured himself climbing a ladder, doing handyman work when he was well into his seventies. You know, I mean, he just, that's not the man he was. He served in Korea. This just wasn't the man he was. He would not have liked that. And so they, they let him go. 
Um, and then back in 96, when his wife, my great grandma Carmen had died, that also was like a week long process where yeah. it had been a bladder infection that got missed that ended up elevating and becoming septic. And it just was a mm-hmm. whole ordeal that we did not, you know, the, no one was expecting, but it took like a week, honestly. But then with my grandmother and then with my brother, where it was just, we got a call or well, my grandmother, I was there, but with my brother, we're literally, we got a call saying, Hey, this, this is what happened. <laughs> There's no good way. I mean, there really mm-hmm. isn't. There's and not. You know, if I went to the doctor tomorrow and they're like, hey, you have a brain tumor and you're going to die in three months. I don't know that I wouldn't be like, well, let me just go home and finish this right now. (laughs) You know, I mean, not to be indelicate about it, but there's something about that that I just who's to know. You know, I don't think I think it's different. I think the grieving process is different because you do grieve them before they're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know that there's. One is better, you know? Mm-mm. I I, I mean, like with both my parents, I don't know that I want to do either of those over again. Um, like my mom was so out of the blue, but at oh, the yeah. same time, I had been thinking it was a blessing because she would have hated constant hospital visits and like, Absolutely. you know, all that that we had with my grandmother in the years that she was declining and going down. Like that was a constant going to the doctor, going to take care. And and she would have hated that. But like with my dad, like, and that was its own weird thing because it was COVID. So yeah. there was two weeks where he was not in the hospital suffering with COVID. Well, that sucks. And then, you know, this was right when COVID hit. So like, I couldn't go visit, you know, you can't go do anything. And then when he got in the hospital, you really can't go do anything because literally yeah. the doors are locked. And it was, okay, well, let's stand outside the hospital and say goodbye to him. Like, it's every way, as someone who is so fascinated by death and and I love cemeteries and blah, 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 um, I think, I mean, I get it. It's a necessary process and there are better ways to go than others, but it all sucks Mm -hmm. for the people left behind. I don't care. I mean, like I said, you, you want your loved one to go. As as your grandma's obituary said, surrounded by loved ones. Right. Peacefully. But unfortunately, like with my brother, like we he died basically over the course of like 24 hours. Yeah. You know, and fortunately, it was enough time for the kids to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not enough time for me and mom to get there. He died the morning we were leaving Chicago, but his kids were there. And that was really yeah, honestly, you know, would I have liked to have yeah. been there? Yeah. yeah. Mom. Almost certainly mm-hmm. would have, but his children were there. Yeah. Those were the ones that needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it It's really hard. And I mean, as someone who is really in the throes of it yeah, and right. like freaking out about Christmas and Thanksgiving and yeah. all that, like it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Which, Grief is- you know, Christmas, my family's here. Just come on down, oh, baby. Your mama has already extended <laughs> that invitation. Your mother yes. has already reached out and been like, where are you going for Christmas? And I'm like, yeah, have some somewhere I think Christmas I'll be Sheena, Sheena, Thanksgiving, yeah. if you're not, you know, I know, Shauna, like, yeah, yeah, we're, I've already ordered the turkey. Oh, I was okay. going to say, like, Adam, um, Adam and Katie, Adam 
used his new smoker this weekend and made oh, some does he love it? pork. Yes. Okay. So, and we always cook way too much. And I don't know if my in-laws are coming in town or not. So you are more than welcome to come hang out well, with us. I might hit you up that weekend because yeah. if y'all have leftovers, because I've got to give ghost tours all Thanksgiving weekend. So well, that's, I mean, yeah. you'll be busy, yeah. That's I'll awesome. be busy, yeah. But yeah, I've already ordered the turkey for when we go to Shauna's. And then mm-hmm. um, I'm going to try this week to make my grandmother's um, cornbread. It is like the Ooh. simplest recipe. But I never, and I asked Mama 5,000 times, okay, what? how do you do it? And she's like, you just... She's just like grandma. Oh, yeah. you just pinch of this and a little of that and blah, blah, blah. And like, so those I'll are not measurements. Yeah, but I really don't know. So, like, I've got this stuff this week. I have all the cast iron skillets. I have all this. Like, yeah. But I'm like, that's how we make our dressing. And the dressing is my favorite thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. if I don't yeah. get this right, I'm going to be squalling in the kitchen. <laughs> and so, like, I'm trying to not freak like, out. With so. my sister-in-law's chicken and dressing, which I look forward to every yeah. year, I was like, one of the nibblings. I was like, Emily, start learning now because you yes. know Aunt Hannah isn't cooking. And when your mom yes. is no longer around, I still want this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Y'all, so. my my grandma's stuffing was my absolute favorite because that's oh, we used to go so to good. the and she would never give me the recipe. Because <laughs> uh, yep. you know, I've she, already told the nibblings. I was like, Y'all need to get in and go with your mama. And with your mm-hmm. Nana, because Aunt Hannah doesn't cook. So no, y'all need it, to work this it, out. The dressing, I know how to make. I've made that. But like it's my the mother cornbread. would have already made the cornbread. Uh-huh. Everything yeah. else is is gravy. I know how to do that. That's easy. But the okay. rest, uh, the cornbread, no. It's it's a magical yeah. thing. Hopefully, well, cause I have some dr- of her secrets. But yeah. Well, because I'm driving down for Christmas. And I was going to stop at one of y'all's and sleep yeah. for the night. And then drive the rest of it try not to do it all at once um i'm bringing gwen since i'm worried this might be her last christmas so um, we're not gonna talk about that no, we're not gonna talk about that we're not gonna talk no but so yeah i'll be seeing you guys at christmas but awesome cool. but uh yeah no i she would never give me the recipe and uh anytime we went because we didn't always make it for thanksgiving she'd make me that stuffing oh yeah it's so good so mm. all right y'all i, I love that but you know, maybe your goal in life that, is to have somebody write something so sweet about you upon yes. your leaving. I was just thinking about because my My Chemical Romance tattoo is either going to be from Famous Last Words or it ain't about all the friends you made. It's the graffiti they write on your grave. Yeah. And that just reminded me of like, yeah, that's that's what matters. Well, yeah. I have already decided I found an artist I haven't reached out to yet, but um, I'm going to get a tattoo of her birth flower, the lily of the valley, and mm. I have her signature. Um, so I'm going to take her the handwriting of her name, Zuline, yep. and have it have them incorporated in. So I love yeah, that. That that is, and I'm going to do it on my right arm, like right where I look down so I can see yeah. the side of my arm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's where my grandmother's signature is on my left forearm and it's the last birthday card she gave me and I have her with me all the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I need to, I keep saying I'm going to go get ginkgo leaves for mm-hmm. my grandmother and then her three daughters, my two aunts and my mom, because ginkgo leaves or ginkgo trees represent, you know, strength. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you can't kill a damn ginkgo. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's how I see my grandmother and my aunts and my mom. Yeah, like, 
tough lady. We have this, I love it. Yes, we have a horrible history of domestic violence in our family, and no man has killed any of my the women in my family. And Damn by God, straight. they better not. And all of them would probably whoop their butts right back. I mean, my grandma did. She set the bed on fire with <laughs> my granddaddy in it, which I wish I'd burn him up. Love to hear it. Yeah, and um, so I keep saying I'm going to get ginkgo leaves. Plus, to the my tree at Elmwood is a ginkgo. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that at some point. I just haven't, Mm -hmm. you know, it would make me feel things, and sometimes I don't like feeling things. Dang it. Yeah, (laughs) and tattoos cost money. They do, don't they? Though, especially to get it done by a good talented, right? And then you have to wait six months before they have an opening. I know because I, I still have to get for my brother. Um, I'm gonna get a Ford Bronco for reasons because, that's, <laughs> and I'm gonna incorporate a line from Metallica's "Nothing Else Matters" because that was that's y'all song, yeah. our song. Yeah. Um, which I know he wrote it about his girlfriend, and you guys are siblings. I'm like, it means no, a lot to us. It, Shut the fuck yeah. up, <laughs> you know. So I'm gonna incorporate yeah. that, um, you know, and try to. But that's going to be a huge piece, and I know that's going to take a lot of time, and I have to find the right yeah. real estate for it, and yeah, and it's going right to be a lot. Artist. The artist, exactly, because yeah. because like I love the girl who did my B, but mm-hmm. this you know, and there they, there's an artist there that does really good fine line flowers, but I yeah. like color. I do not like just black and gray. So she's you know I got to find somebody that can add some color. Um, yep. and and again, Amy Lynn who did my B. I love her for new school stuff. So any other new school, fun, bright, colorful tattoo I want, that's who I'll go to for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, you got to find the right artist that you like their work. Yeah. And they do the style that you're wanting the tattoo in because yep. that. Absolutely. Because I it. have in my head what I want it to look like. Yeah. I can't draw. So it's not, I can't really like <laughs> describe it, you know? So yeah. if you're a Chicago area tattoo artist, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> or, or if you know any and have recommendations, always yeah, send absolutely. them our way. Send them our way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I went on Reddit looking for recommendations because, um, you know, I'm not super familiar with Memphis area artists other than yeah. the, the few, that the we, ones we used. Yeah. You know, so, um anyway yeah let's let's get into this who wants to go next sheena or hannah i i'm excited to to hannah you uh, go because you've been, I'll go. you've been you know amping us up with your adhd yeah. yes story yeah, this I'm is here for this it. is so okay it. so in true hannah fashion i started looking at one thing <laughs> and discovered a bunch of other stories that went along with it so we're gonna kind of begin at the beginning so the Chicago Water Tower is like one of my favorite structures in Chicago. Um, it's downtown. It is stunning. It's a beautiful piece of work. Um, and it's haunted. Of so, course it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the oldest buildings up. in the history of the city. Um, and it's witnessed its fair share of disaster over the years. It's, in fact, one of the only buildings that remain standing in the area after the Chicago fire. Um, Ooh, it, it said pretty. that it's absolutely gorgeous. So it was built in 1869 and is the second oldest water tower in the United States. It is hmm. made by architect William uh Boynton, who we're going to talk about in a second because he was super cool too he designed the tower and made it from limestone 
Uh, it stood 182 feet tall and contained a pipe that was roughly 140 feet high. Um, and it was to pump water from Lake Michigan. So it could be used for various purposes, drinking water and the Chicago Fire Department. Um, so pumping in stuff from the lake. Despite the intent to provide the fire department enough water to put out a fire, it wasn't enough to contain the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. And after the flames burned much of the city, the water tower was the only building that stood in that area. While plans were made for rebuilding the city, the water tower became a prominent part of the city where planners believed the building around it would be the ideal start of a new beginning. So I did love that. Um, it is in 1975, it was named to the National Historic Register of Historic Places. So where's the haunting coming from? Well, a couple of things. They're quite frequent. Locals will see spirits hanging around doing the thing. Uh, the first haunting is from during doing the fire the itself, doing the thing, whatever it is Haunt. that ghosts do. I love it for Haunt. them. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Boo, you bitch. Oh, no. Just it cracked me up the way you said it. Doing the thing. Doing their ghosty yeah. business. Who am I yeah. to judge? Yeah. So the first ghost that we have is of somebody who worked at the fire tower or water tower. And as the fires were getting close, he was doing his best to keep pumping water from the pipes and um keeping it going. But when the fire got to the tower, he went up to the very top and hanged himself. Ooh. Um so it's said that his ghost can be seen around doing his ghosty thing. It also became the site of suicides over the years. Jeez. Because, oh, Chicago. <laughs> and there are two in specific that happened in 1875 and 1881. In 1875, a man named Frederick Kaiser, who had been born in Germany, had jumped to his death from the top of the tower after battling most of his adult life with depression. Prior to his death, he had been confined to a mental institution for a few months. After his time there, he managed to find a job as a bookkeeper. And despite his dad think thinking that things were going great, he suffered a mental breakdown on the night of October 21st. That's what happens. <laughs> it looks yeah. like everything's going great and you decide, fuck it. Yeah. Um, shortly after dinner, he snuck to the top of the tower where he sat on the top for a few and then jumped Ooh. um frederick Ke yes bless his heart um frederick kaiser was uh buried in schiller park at the eden memorial park he has a very uh simple gravestone so shout out to him that's very sad mm -hmm. um another one another german man i don't know what was going on with germans in chicago but they were not having a great time so he took his own life in a very similar way. So he was Hugo von Malapert. Um, the von means he came from some nobility uh, in Germany, and he was suffering from financial problems. Usually is. The story had quite a twist, however. Malapert had made a fellow German na man named Victor Gangelin. Gangelin? I'm not sure. I don't speak German. The two had conversed outside of the water tower about their lives in America, how things were going. Malapert lamented to Gangelin that he was not happy with his life and wanted to go back to Germany. Gangelin begged to differ and tried to persuade him to stay and make it better. And 
give it another shot. The talk had apparently failed as Malapert handed a card containing his employer's address to Gangolin. He suggested to Gangolin that if he was looking for a job, he should check out the store where Malapert worked as a clerk. Basically saying there's about to be an opening. Oh, no. Yeah. Malapert's parting words to Gangolin were to ask for an application tomorrow since there was going to likely be a vacancy. He jumped to his death from the top of the tower. Gangolin would soon find him on the ground with a note to his employer saying his father would pay off the $200 debt that was owed. Mm. It was a bizarre turn of events where a job suggestion turned into a tragic end for one man. But to give Malapert some credit, it seemed very clever of him to refer his countrymen to a job. Bless his heart. The ghosts of both Germans may still be lurking around, along with the uh, ill-fated firemen. Uh, And to this day, it's unknown whether or not the spirits are still in the towers, but it wouldn't be a surprise. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the really awesome dude who made said tower. We're going to talk about a fucking architect, motherfuckers. (laughs) So, we have William... Yes. I was just going to say, um, I Googled it, too, since Lori talked about how pretty it was. Yes. Why doesn't every water tower look like this? It is so what? fucking pretty. It's so pretty. So Why do we have pretty. these ugly water towers? Yeah. Yes, real. with weird names on it that Joe Diffie wrote about yeah. painting <laughs> on. Yeah, I just, it's it's lovely. It's beautiful architecture. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And the guy behind it is William Warren Boynton. Um, who lived from July 22nd, 1818 to October 16th, 1898. So he had a good long life. Mm-hmm. Um, he was originally from Massachusetts. Um, he died in Highland Park, Illinois, and he is buried at Rose Hill Cemetery um, with a really kind of boring grave considering everything mm-hmm. that he did. Um, originally from Massachusetts, he studied engineering and architecture in New York. After this, he practiced and served in the New York State Legislature um, before deciding to come to Illinois in 1853, um, settled into Chicago. Many of his buildings were constructed before the Great Fire and destroyed by it, except for the Chicago Water Tower. Um, other buildings accredited to Boyenson include the first LaSalle Street Station, um, the Second Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois, the New State Capitol Building in Springfield, Illinois, the First University of Chicago, which was on 34th Street and Cottage Grove Avenue, but has since been demolished, the First Sherman House located at Clark and Randolph, which was demolished in 1910, Residence for Washington and Jane Smith, the Entrance Gate of Rose Hill Cemetery, which is stunning. Um, and very fitting that he made the entrance gate to this beautiful cemetery where he yeah. now resides. And it's the Ravenswood entrance. It's absolutely beautiful. Also made out of limestone, uh, similar to the water tower. Um, he made the Second Baptist Church of Chicago, the 1864 Democratic Convention Hall, the Chicago Board of Trade building um, that is now been demolished, unfortunately. The Windsor Hotels of Montreal, Canada, and Denver, Colorado. The Iowa Governor's Mansion. The Helger Karras Mansion of LaSalle, Illinois. 
a whole block in Rochester, Minnesota, <laughs> uh, a bank building in Decatur, Illinois, the Illinois State Building for the World's Columbian Exposition, the Transfer House in Decatur, and the Joliet Prison, which is also <laughs> amazing looking and apparently haunted as balls. I love that this also, guy so busy. Right? He also... Um, was also the death place of our our gal tilly Klimek. oh yeah if we remember tilly i missed i remember tilly <laughs> he was also mayor of highland park for two huh. terms well good um, for him. highland park is where the unfortunate uh shooting took place a couple summers ago but is also the residence of our dearly beloved billy corgan and his new bride and their little tea house that i haven't visited yet but i am going to um <laughs> Apparently, Highland Park is amazing. So, their former mayor and the constructor of one of the some of the coolest fucking buildings I've seen um, resides again at Rose Hill Cemetery with an extremely simple grave. It is a head, just one of the in ground headstones. It's not entirely flat. It's up maybe like half a foot, and yeah. it's just him and his wife, um, Eunice Bingham Boynton. So. That is the haunted water tower of Chicago and its creator, William Warren Boynton. Well, good. The pictures, when you see the pictures, the pictures are absolutely amazing because the water tower itself is beautiful. The gate that he constructed is absolutely gorgeous. He just made such beautiful buildings. And even the Joliet prison is beautiful. Yeah. All right. That was my ADHD adventure. (laughs) I enjoyed it. I followed your ADHD all the way down. That was rad. (laughs) All right. Well, my turn. Um, Y'all probably know the story because I know I've probably told it to y'all. But don't spoil the ending. Okay. Don't spoil the ending. Oh, I did not hear. Words hit my brain and they did not compute. You probably know the story. Just don't shout out. Gotcha. Oh, and this is. Yep. Because I'm going to get to it at the end. I like to say the big I won't punch line for the end. It's not even a punchline. Um, so picture tongue. it. Itawamba County, Mississippi. Oh, Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't I can't say a lot of nice things about Itawamba County. My daddy's from there. That's good. Elvis's daddy is from there. Tammy Wynette's from there. Even though Red Bay, Alabama tries to claim her, too. And so <laughs> another guy... Venice Bates is also from Itawamba County. So some interesting people who have nothing in common are all from Itawamba County. This is about as random as you could get, which I tell people sometimes Itawamba County is kind of like the St. Olaf of Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it. I've, I've come to suspect that Tate County is also another St. Olaf, but what do I know? Anyway, Mr. Finnis Bates was born August 22nd, 1848, which makes him a Leo. This is also around the same time the University of Mississippi was founded, so hotty toddy. I was about I to lost. ask him, like, Yeah, even though I think we lost really, really bad yesterday. Whoops. Um, it happens. Yeah, I guess it does. I don't, it's not like I care that much. I mean, I, I care, but anyway, I'm I not keep a an eye. Person. Yeah, yeah, I Google it. Once every Sunday or Saturday in fall, I'm like, oh, Miss Football, who do we even play? I don't even know. Yeah, I get like a Google notification on my phone that gives me the final score. I'm like, cool. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's all I need to know. Uh, So Finnis was the ninth of 12 children. 
His father Jesus. was a planter. Well, what else Apparently, are you going to do in Alabama County? He was planting, all right. I know. <laughs> um, I read that he went to Carrollton, Mississippi to study law. Like, what school is in Carrollton, Mississippi to study law? Like, probably like a church school or something. I know, like something. I was like, I don't know why in the world. Anyway, whatever. In 1969, when he was 21, he married a lady named Birdie Lee Money. Money? Money? Anyway, Ooh. this makes her Birdie Bates, which I think is a precious <laughs> name. Yeah, I'm they into had it. Two, yeah, two daughters, Emma and Olga, and a son named Bertram. Later, after Birdie died, he married a woman half his age, because of course Ooh. he did, um, and they had a son named Langdon, but we'll get to that later. Um, but anyway, when he was with his first wife, Birdie, and they had those three kids, they moved to Texas in the 1870s. And while he was there, he became friends with a guy named John St. Helen, a, quote, liquor and tobacco merchant. Which, when I see that, I just think of those stores that you see that in huge letters says beers and cigs. Like, you <laughs> yes. know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, okay, so that's, you had a beer and cig sign up in, in front of your house or in front of your business. That's Tale as old as time. I'm telling you. So this was in Granbury, Texas. Now, this friend, John St. Helen, was one of those kind of theatrical storytelling kind of friends. Told great stories. He recited, recited Shakespeare from memory. Um, everything I've read about this guy, he, he was quite the character. I love it. Well, in 1878, John St. Helen became gravely ill and believed he was on his deathbed. So he calls in his friend and lawyer, Dennis Bates, and he makes a deathbed confession. And this is his deathbed confession. I am dying. My name is John Wilkes Booth, and I'm the assassin of President Lincoln. Get, it, get the picture of myself from under the pillow. I leave it with you for my future identification. Notify my brother, Edwin Booth of New York City. The fuck? Yeah. This is not what the dollop told me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. I know. I don't know why the dollop has not covered this side of it. But or maybe they have, and I just haven't got to that episode. I don't know. They have a big backlog. Anyway, mm -hmm. if if someone is unfamiliar with John Wilkes Booth, and we do have international listeners, and they may not be, you know, up to date with the latest American drama, even though it's you know 170 <laughs> years old, several or whatever. hundred years ago, yeah. John Wilkes Booth was an actor and a racist Confederate piece of crap, even though he lived in the North. Mm -hmm. But he loved the Confederates, loved the South. He murdered, President, uh -huh, he murdered President Abraham Lincoln on April 14th, 1865, at the end of the Civil War. He hated Lincoln. Um, he had been trying to harm the president for quite a while. Um, and a few days before the assassination, Lincoln said he was in favor of granting voting rights to the formerly enslaved. And that really set Booth off because, God forbid, people have basic human rights. But it was about states' rights, you guys. It totally yeah, sure. wasn't that black sure. people were inherently property i know yeah so after killing lincoln booth escaped and he was on the run for several days it was this huge manhunt they put a hundred thousand dollar bounty on his head which is over three Ooh. million today Damn. um they tracked him down to a tobacco barn in virginia on april 26th he refused to surrender they set the barn on fire and then he was fatally shot during the standoff and the and guy that on did it had one ball <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know that, but it must have been that. That was in the dollop. 
<laughs> okay. Well, I, I don't know if I remember that, but okay. Um, his body was, ta- oh, on his body, they found personal items like letters and, and paperwork, journals, photos of ladies. Um, yeah. So his body was taken to the Washington Navy Yard where like more than 10 people who knew him said, yep, that's John Wilkes Booth. Um, his body was kept in a couple of different places until 1869. And then it said they released Booth to his family where they buried him in a plot at Mount, at Green Mount Cemetery in Baltimore. But John St. Helen says, no, no, I am John Wilkes Booth and I have lived all these years. And uh, that wasn't who okay. got killed that day. Um, and as it turns out, John St. Helen was not on his deathbed after all. Whoops. Oh, shit. Um, so Be he recovered. What you do. Yeah. He recovered. He told uh, Finnis Bates a few more details about the whole plot. He said it was Vice President Andrew Johnson who was in on the plot to kill Lincoln. He was the one pushing for people to harm the president because he was from Tennessee. He was a Southern guy and everyone wanted the Southern guy in the office and that Andrew Johnson and Lincoln didn't like each other. I don't know how true that is. I didn't Google. Um, He claimed the guy killed in the tobacco barn was not him, obviously, not John Wilkes Booth because he's clearly alive. It was a guy named Ruddy. Ready? No last name, okay. just ready, like share. Oh, um, okay. He claimed he had dropped his personal papers while on the run, and he had asked Ruddy to pick them up for him, which is why they were on his body when uh, he was shot huh. and killed. Uh huh. Yeah. Get ready for more stellar evidence like that. I can't wait. Yeah. So uh, after he recovered from this illness and gave these extra details, John St. Helen skipped town. Are we shocked? He uh, yeah. Goes to- he goes to Colorado to take up mining, and he spends some time in Oklahoma and all this. Um, but our pal Finnis uh, moves to Memphis. Uh, so he claimed he didn't really believe John's story. He was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, he said that John was popular, pleasant, modest, and that his claims about being uh, John Wilkes Booth was, quote, an unpleasant side of St. Helen's character. Ooh. Okay. Well... About 22 years after John St. Helen claimed this in 1900, Finnis wrote to the War Department in an unsuccessful attempt to claim the $100,000 reward advertised following Lincoln's murder. He was like, hey, I know I know who did it, and he's over here. All right. He also, All right. He also contacted um, the Department of State and then I think, too, maybe the FBI, but I'm not sure when the FBI was formed. Whatever, I don't care. Anyway, fast forward a couple more years to 1903. Finnis Bates is lawyering away in Memphis. Cool. As but one meanwhile, does. as one does. Meanwhile, over in Enid, Oklahoma, a guy oh. named David George has completed suicide by drinking poison on January 13th, 1903. David was a house painter, a bad one at that. He only painted one house and they said it was horrible. Known to be a big drinker, and he quoted Shakespeare often. Who huh. doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, I mean, he was staying at Albert a hotel. Fish was a house painter too. Yeah, I know, right? So he was staying at a hotel in Oklahoma when he killed himself. The other tenants heard him moaning in pain and tried to get him some help, but he died. Um, his body was taken to a local coroner who said he died from alcohol and poison-induced heart failure. So, while his body is being embalmed, 
a local minister goes to the embalmer and is like, hey, listen, this guy one time told my wife that he was John Wilkes Booth and claimed that he killed the best man that ever lived. No, oh dear. And his wife just assumed it was a drug-induced delirium. Yeah. So, meanwhile, the undertaker, William Pennyman, has embalmed this body, but no one has come to claim him. And so, everyone's like, what do we do with this guy? So, he ties him to a chair, puts a newspaper in his lap, and sets him up in the window for everyone to see the excellent embalming work he did. Hey. So, thousands of people visit this guy's um, funeral home just to see this dead body sitting up chilling. As you do. Um, so it was unclaimed for a while. And I'm not really sure on the exact time frame of how all this happened. But David had taken out a will a few days before his death. And some of the property he said he owned didn't actually exist. So everything else in the will seems a little sus, of course. But in it, he says, oh, please contact my lawyer, Finnis Bates, when I die. So they call him Finnis Bates, who's in Memphis. So he travels out to Oklahoma to see, like, okay, there's this dead guy named David George that says I need to be contacted. And he looks at him. He's like, that's my old pal, John St. Helen. So, okay, John St. Helen and, and David George are one and the same. And they're possibly also John Wilkes Booth. We don't know. <laughs> now, <laughs> I am not sure on this part. I've heard that Finnis Bates kind of claimed the body right then and there and was like, yep, that I'll take him. But I've also heard it was like eight years that it was at the funeral home. Ooh. I'm not really sure, but it was there for a while. I don't think it was like, I don't think Finnis Bates went and got it right away, but I also don't think it was a full eight years, but it could have been because thousands of people saw this body. Either way, eventually, Finnis Bates is like, you know what? That's my friend. I'll, I'll take him. So that's what he does. Um, Finnis Bates gets the body and brings it back home to Memphis <laughs> where he stores it in his garage at 1234 Harbert Avenue. Okay. I think the house is still standing. I've Googled. Oh, it looks like it's still there. I'm not sure, but I'm dying to go take some ghost hunting equipment and be like, hey, is there a body? You know, anybody mad that they were buried in this garage for a minute? So he had it, but he was also like, what am I going to do with this? So he rented it out to circus sideshows, as you do, as you do. Um, the body was shown again. I don't know if this was Pennyman doing this or if it was Bates, but he was shown at the 1904 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, but it was rejected in 1933 for the Chicago World's Fair. Which what what about it, Chicago? Or is this body not good enough for you? <laughs> we anyway. had a lot of bad shit in that that one too. So I'm shocked. Yeah. Well, in 1907, Venice Bates writes a book which I just read. <laughs> I spent all weekend reading it because when you have plumber's jackhammering in your apartment you put whatever in your ears to make the jackhammering stop so i read the escape and suicide of john wilkes booth <laughs> which is all about john st helen and david george's claims okay yeah and uh his his evidence is cute it's cute <laughs> at one point i was like please tell me 
you're not a lawyer because this does not sound lawyerly. And then it kind of did. And then it kind of didn't because it like one of the last chapters, he has a palm reader read the dead guy's palms. And I'm like, I don't care what that says. That, that okay. tells me nothing. I mean, it's basically like, oh, he was meant for great things. He was going to be great on the stage. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, he was great yeah. on the stage until he assassinated a president. Okay. Anyway. Um, so Finnis Bates has the body for the next several years. He tried to get other people to buy it, but nobody would. At one point, he tried to get Henry Ford to buy it for a thousand dollars, and Henry Ford said no, which okay. There's a All whole right. backstory to that that I didn't really look into, and I just didn't care to. But then, speaking of Chicago, the Carnival King of the Southwest, William <laughs> Evans, based out of okay. Chicago, of course, rented out the mummy. From Finnis Bates in 1920, and he paid Finnis $1,000 every five months. Well, this mummy goes on quite an adventure. A few months into his carnival journey, the mummy survived a fatal train wreck that killed many of William Evans' employees and circus animals, but the mummy oh, was not hurt at all. Imagine that. Yeah. Amazing embalming. Um, and before William Evans could get the body and put it back on tour, it was kidnapped. So he started running a thousand dollar reward. And finally, the kidnapper was like, oh, well, here's your body. If I can get that thousand dollars. Jesus. No oh, honor. Y'all, y'all, I swear. By this point, William Evans is like, you know what? I don't like this body anymore. I'm giving it back to Mr. Bates. <laughs> but Finnis Bates had died. He died on oh, November no. 29th. 1923, nearly a hundred years ago. We're awfully close to November 29th, 1929 or 1923 of natural causes at the age of 75. So Finnis's widow sold the mummy to Evans for a thousand dollars. Like, just keep it, dude. Just she's like, I don't want that shit back in my garage. Yes, I don't blame her. Next up for the mummy, because I mean, this is just left turns. William Evans moves to a potato farm in Idaho. Okay. And as and you do. I as you do. And what other kinds of farms are there in Idaho? Does Idaho even have like I mean, corn? I think it's all potatoes and I think it's all white potatoes. supremacist militias. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so he he takes the body out to his potato farm and puts it on display, as you do. A supposed John Wilkes Booth expert comes to look at the body in nineteen twenty eight and he starts to Imagine it for that a being while. your expertise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a weird one. Um, but then some people were very offended that people were showing off the supposed body of John Wilkes Booth and they threatened to lynch the mummy. So they're Fair. like, well, we got to get out of here. Fair. Meanwhile, William Evans was killed in a holdup in Chicago. <laughs> Are, haven't we all been at least once? <laughs> haven't we all? And um, not sure where the mummy was for a few years but in 1931 the chicago press club hired six doctors to examine it the results were not conclusive and they weren't widely accepted and it was pretty much just publicity stunt because they didn't even really look at it that closely like they didn't take measurements for like height and stuff like that and like in the book finnis bates is like well his finger is messed up and john wilkes booth had a finger that was messed up and he has a break in the same place john wilkes booth had a break because you know when he jumped from the balcony he right. jumped onto the theater and or on the stage and broke his leg and they're like he has a the exact same fracture in the exact same spot and i'm like okay that means nothing sure anyway the next year joseph harkin who was of course in the bit 
circus business bought the mummy for $5,000. He had it on display for a couple of years until it was seized as collateral for debt repayment. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Which just cracks me up for some reason. Give me the goddamn mummy. <laughs> you owe us, Joe. <laughs> Jesus. Anyways, the Saturday Evening Post wrote about the mummy in 1938 and said the mummy, quote, scattered ill luck around almost as freely as Tutankhamun is supposed to have done. Love it. When the 1950s, because this bum- this mummy won't die, it was stored in a Philadelphia basement for a while. It was sold again. But long time, long story short, basically, the last time anyone saw the mummy was at a Midwestern carnival in the late 1970s. And no one has seen David George or John St. Helen or John Wilkes Booth ever since. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, Jesus. Finnis Bates is buried at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, Tennessee. Of course. Uh, He has a lovely cradle grave, which is the bathtub kind of shaped graves. It's Victorian era, meaning your symbolism for um, you're a child of God. Your family was supposed to tend to it and and grow lovely flowers in it. No one has adopted his grave to garden. Maybe I should do it. Um, He is surrounded by his second wife, Madge, and their son, Langdon, who died in 1989, a year before his daughter, Kathy Bates, won the Academy Award for Best Actress in Misery. Wait, yes, really? ladies and gentlemen, Kathy Bates's father and grandfather are both buried at Elmwood Cemetery, and her father, her grandfather, kept John Wilkes Booth in his garage for like twenty years. <laughs> Holy God, damn! Yeah, yeah, uh huh. What? And if you think if you think you don't know Kathy Bates, because the last time I told this story on tour, uh, that was my big bombshell drop. My, my, you know, mic drop, walk off. I heard someone explaining to their teenager who Kathy Bates was. Oh, I can't oh. believe I have to do this because we should all be at worshiping at her altar. Um, she was, of course, in Misery, which is an amazing movie. Perfect. She was in Titanic. Yes. I know everyone's seen that American Horror Story, Fried Green Tomatoes, Dolores Claiborne. Oh, yes. Like she's been in so much good stuff. Um, so yeah, she's originally from Memphis. Like I said, her father and grandfather and grandmother are all buried at Elmwood. Most of Finnis's, um brothers and sisters, because he was like nine of twelve, they're mostly scattered all out west. A lot from Texas and Arizona and all. Yeah, that. makes um, sense. Yeah, but yeah, we we got her granddaddy right here in Memphis, and he thought he was friends with John Lewis Booth, and he kept his body in his garage for two years. Oh my oh god. god, that is bananas. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I just love it. And yeah, I read the book. The book is, bless its heart, bless its heart. <laughs> if you want to read it, it's on Audible. <laughs> Weirdly enough, um, it. but it's also you can find obviously the entire all of the copy because it's you know internet public archive domain. and it's public domain. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking of. So yeah, um, I say all that to say, yeah, Venice Bates. That's amazing, Bates, granddaddy. That Fun time. I love awesome. it. I love I it. I fucking uh, love it. I wish I had more details on Venice Bates and like more about what he did, but I really didn't. I kind of decided on this one last minute, and so I didn't do a ton of research into him. Other than reading his book. Fucking great. great. I love it. Yeah, And too, I mean, you got to go into details about who is John Wilkes Booth and who is John St. Helen. Right. Yeah. Like, like that dude is, 
That dude That's is insane. A dude. <laughs> that dude is a dude. <laughs> yeah, he's a dude, all right. Very dramatic. Anyway, Lou Who finishes yes, off. I'm gonna close us out with a short but but neat little story. Um here for it. That begins in the town of Deep River, Connecticut in the year eighteen ninety-nine. Ooh. Ooh. The town's role in the ivory trade made it flush with cash. Why ivory, you ask? Yeah, why ivory? Well, one of the town's early settlers was Phineas Pratt, a deacon, silversmith, and inventor who patented a, quote, machine for making combs, end quote, in April of 1799. And I'm assuming, because I didn't really, like, Google image, it's like the hairpiece comb, maybe. Yeah, like, that's what I'm decorative. envisioning, too. Because those used to be ivory, like, pretty. Yeah. Free. There used to be so many different jobs. Right. I know. The device, which was basically an early version of a circular saw, was also able to cut through ivory, which made Deep River and the surrounding town the place for the manufacturer of ivory combs and piano keys. So, like, oh. there, were, there were two towns in the north that were like that was the trade trading area yeah. for ivory right that's mm. crazy yeah yeah don't 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 buy don't ivory do ivory keys. no 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 because don't even like if, there's it's not ethical you, you and know, i think it's bands pretty much everywhere now yeah yeah pretty much uh, better be yes. let me find out it's not i'm gonna start writing some letters <laughs> Because of the town's role in the ivory trade, the Deep River Savings Bank was also flush with cash. Oh, it boy. It is believed that the bank's vault held more than $1 million, which is more than $37 million in today's money. Jesus yes. Christ. The bank was warned that there might be a robbery, which is why in December of that year, 1899, the bank hired local man Henry Tyler to serve as a night watchman to protect the bank's fortune. In the words of Robert Evans of Behind the Bastards, always rob insured banks. (laughs) It proved excellent advice. Yes, it proved a wise choice as between the hours of 1 and 1.30 a.m. on December 13th, four men attempted to break into the bank. Jesus. would-be robber, who was described as having a long black mustache, was shot <laughs> in the face by Tyler Jesus. via a sawed-off sh- shotgun as there he goes that mustache. attempted <laughs> to jimmy his way through the window. So yes, half his face was blown off. Christ. Ugh. He fell dead and the other three robbers fled into the night. Yeah, once I see half of someone's head pop off, I'm out. The man's body. <laughs> Just kill me for some reason. <laughs> the man's body was never claimed, and the town buried him in a hidden corner in the Fountain Hill Cemetery. Shortly after the burial, a letter came that seemed to be written in a woman's hand, but was not signed, asking that a marker be placed on his grave with the simple inscription XYZ. No. Oh. The letter writer was never identified, but a shoebox-sized sandstone marker with that inscription was placed atop the grave. What? Okay. Now, while the legend would have you believe that this man has never been identified, 
his identity was discovered two months following his death by the Pinkerton Detective Agency. <laughs> we know nice. him. We love him. Yep. XYZ was, in fact, career criminal Frank Howard, also known as Frank Ellis or Tommy Brent, who was described okay. as a, quote, deep-dyed criminal, end quote, by local newspapers. Jeez. According to stories passed down over the years, his grave was visited every year by a mysterious woman in black. She would arrive to Deep River by train and would walk back to the graveyard and leave a rose or bouquet of flowers on the grave before walking back to the train. Lori, I am paying one one of your descendants to do this after we all pass away. (laughs) I was going to say, I've always wanted that. Like, you know how Poe had someone for years? Yes, the Poe toaster. Yes, yes, like I'm dying for someone to come leave. Like, and I mean, I need them to be in all black with veils and all that. And I need them right. to put like a some dramatic flower, just a single like black rose or some sh- yeah, crazy or shit. something weird like absinthe or something. Yeah, <laughs> something weird, a line of coke, something <laughs> Adderall for me. <laughs> yes. Put down my Ritalin prescription right there for me. Anyway. Yeah. Locals claimed to have seen her until the late 1940s, but news reports didn't mention the woman until an article published in the Deep River News era on November 3rd, 1939. The article noted, quote, a matter of common report that for several years following the daring bank attempt, a woman dressed in black would get off the train at the Deep River Depot, walk down the tracks and up into the cemetery by the back way and visit the grave of xyz leaving a bouquet of flowers on it that's gonna be the name of my strip club the deep river (laughs) depot (laughs) carry on the woman was never stopped followed or otherwise investigated and her relationship with the dead robber has never been learned end quote yeah, they just oh that lady's here again no one talked to her <laughs> there's that crazy bitch yeah no. yeah over the years the stone has been replaced twice most recently in the 1960s it became a popular destination for teens in the 90s where some kiddos claim if you that they have seen an apparition of the lady in black of course they were Ooh, not uh, on marijuana in the cemetery <laughs> at all no <laughs> Others say, if you say his name three times fast while in the cemetery, he'll haunt you. More recently. Oh, let's go try. Probably because yeah. he's pissed that you know his real name. It's like, yeah. fuck, yeah. no, it's XYZ, bitch. Doesn't okay. that sound like Betelgeuse, though? Yeah. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, more recently, visitors to the grave of XYZ leave co- cones. <laughs> leave <laughs> coins on his headstone so he doesn't curse them. Okay. And according to Atlas Obscura, which is how I learned of this grave, uh, the grave is closed to visitors, but that doesn't seem possible because the cemetery itself is still open every day from sunrise to sunset. So I'm not sure where they're getting that information, um, but it's hard Here in to Connecticut. Find. Let us know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard to find, apparently, because, I mean, it's a shoebox. But yes, that is the legend of the grave marked xyz i mean somebody should probably leave one of those like phantom of the opera masks instead oh that would be a good one yeah i'm here for that to to cover (laughs) cover the uh giant gaping shotgun wound in his fucking head (laughs) 
Imagine getting half your face blown off and they still know you have a mustache. That mustache <laughs> must have been epic. Surely what if that's the only thing left? It was like <laughs> it was the, the whole face left. is gone, but there's just a big, thick, swirly that mustache. That Yosemite like, Sam was... mustache hanging on. Yeah. yeah, no, just from the nose up is gone and his bottom yeah. jaw and mustache are all that was like we accidentally rented the director's cut of the hills have eyes back when it came out and so it fully at the beginning shows the dude just blasting his face completely off um Mm. in an outhouse and my mom like we're watching it my mom has this look on her face i'm like what she's like that's really how that looks and i'm like what and she's like i was a cop you come on suicide she's like but yeah that that's how that looks i was like cool Thanks, Thank Mom. you. I'm and never going to sleep again. Right. And then we go on into the movie and somebody's like sucking a breastfeeding woman's boobies. And I'm like, yes. okay, this movie has ruined my life. Yes. Very traumatic movie. It is. It's horrifying. Yes. But one of my favorite directors directed it, Alejandro Aja. Okay. I love him. Yeah. Love it. That was fucking okay. awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, are we um, ready to do our? Oh yes, yes. yes. We're gonna we're gonna be picking our state for our next uh, adventure. So yes, yeah. And I live up the just random, for you guys. Yeah, we're doing it live. I pulled up the random state generator. I'm hitting the button. Vermont. 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 Okay. Okay. All right. All right, do it. It's Vermont's an old. I can work with that. It's an old. It state, is very old. So there's, yeah. So, yeah, there's at least yeah, one so. disappeared episode from Vermont. So there we go. Um. So yeah, come back next week when we dive into Vermont. Ooh, <laughs> right. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> expose time. these expose these hippies. Yeah, at least That's it's right. in South Dakota. South Dakota. <laughs> oh, but yeah? then we could talk about Bobby Singer. Oh, that's true. Yes. I mean, if there is a, a what, isn't that where the portal to hell is? <laughs> One I don't of know. Them. I just know that's where Bobby Singer's garage is and where they would always go on Supernatural when they needed some loving from the man that was not their daddy. But right. And you can tell they completely changed his character from the first season where Dean yeah, had absolutely. never met him. But by season yeah. seven, that's his daddy. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> nope. You know what? When you're a Supernatural fan, you just go with it. Yeah. You do. You do. 100%. Um, so, yeah. So, fun times, ladies. This is great. If you are from Vermont, give us some ideas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, please. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Luhu, um, where can people find us online? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to CemeteryRowPod at gmail.com. Yes. Yeah. Please do. And- we love hearing from you guys. Yep. Send us emails. Um, leave us a review, please. Yes. Yeah, especially it makes if it's our nice. day. Yep. It does. Um, and you know, if you have some good stories that you want us to share, send them our way. Yeah. And tell your friends about us. Yes, please. Indeed. We're trying we to grow you. here, people. Yes. And if you're yes. here from my presentation at work, hi, hello. Um, and I did <laughs> indeed warn you that I curse like a sailor, so you were warned. Yep. All right. This is all right, ladies. See y'all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.